Welcome to the Azure for Executives podcast, the show for technology leaders. This podcast covers trends in technologies and industries and how Microsoft Azure is enabling them. Here you'll hear from thought leaders in various industries and technologies on topics important to you. You'll also learn how to partner with Microsoft to enable your organization and your customers with Microsoft Azure. Paul, our listeners may have noted that changed the name of the show. Yeah, David, that's right. Um, and so now we all wait through it, the Azure for Executives podcast. Maybe, David, you could explain the name change a bit. Why Azure for Executives? You bet. So we're confident this better represents the current listeners of the show. Our audience includes business and technical decision makers. And we want to be able to reach even more of those folks. So we felt pretty strongly that the name change was appropriate. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, David. You know, thinking about the guests and the subjects that we discuss here on the show, I think that's you know a really great uh, title for us. And then with industry leaders from within and outside of Microsoft, you know, we're covering topics of, of interest to anyone considering investments in Azure or partnerships with Microsoft. Yeah, that's right. And we're going forward under this new name. So people will see the name change in their podcast host, be it on Apple Music, Spotify, some other service, and uh, certainly on our, our landing page. And with that, drum roll, we have a new landing page at aka.ms slash Azure through execs. So that's aka.ms slash Azure through execs. Thanks a lot, Paul. Now let's get on to today's topic and guest. Andrew Busby is the founder of Retail Reflections and co-founder of SafePrim. Andrew is a top 20 global retail influencer, a Forbes contributor, an IBM futurist, a keynote speaker, and a writer and analyst on the retail industry. Welcome, Andrew, to the show. Thanks very much, David. It's great to be here. You know, when I was reading your bio, one of the things that really stood out to me is something I just have to ask you about right off the bat. And what does it mean to be an IBM futurist? How did that come about in your life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean that my crystal ball is bigger and better than, than, than yours. Yeah, it's quite interesting. So I was approached probably four or five years ago, um, and it was um, what they were, were doing, what IBM were doing, uh, was they collected a number of... Um, influencers who they they had um, they had identified primarily through you know social media uh, content and presence and uh, and so forth and um it was really all about i guess you know the bottom line of it all was it was about promoting um watson at the time so the uh, the activity there and of course because of uh, the uh, covid pandemic it, that that has um curtailed it a little bit. But I used to, along with a, a group of others, go to uh, a lot of both IBM and non-IBM conferences and um, speak and write about uh, trends uh, as they related to what they were then doing with uh, with Watson. That is not at all what I expected to hear <laughs> behind that story. <laughs> <laughs> No, it, it, um, if you're expecting that uh, I'm looking 10, 20 years into the future uh, and so forth, then uh, no, no, it's, it's not quite quite that. And I always say that, you know, if you look far enough into the future, then you can say whatever you like, because nobody can really disagree with you. Less than 18 months ago, who could have predicted the world that we're now living in? Probably nobody. In that sense, 
futurist is quite an interesting concept, if you like. Well, speaking of interesting times, I want to talk about the fact that the pandemic has had a different experience in the UK than in many places in the rest of the world, and is kind of presenting some unique challenges across the UK. So how has it been different uh, in the UK from other parts of the world? Well, I'll, I'll try not to be political, although I guess it's difficult uh, to avoid crossing that line when we, we talk about these things, because obviously uh, different governments have, have handled it in uh, in different ways. Uh, you know, we've seen, for example, what New Zealand and Australia have done with their borders. And um, it seems, particularly in the case of New Zealand, to have paid off. I mean, I was seeing images, I think it was just the other day, of a concert there, and, and it all looked pretty normal. And for us here in the UK, I think we're a long, long way off that. So you know, it is interesting, and it's not a simple, and, and this is the problem, because you, know, you get the the media, and that does include social media, and, and it, it all gets um, distilled down to sound bites. And yeah, it, it's a complex issue. So as an example of that, in the UK, we've got, uh, it's a fact that we have an ageing and in many, many cases, an obese population. That's just a fact. It's not a judgment on anybody. And that has quite a profound impact. We're also uh, a multicultural, like a lot of other countries, but probably more so in, in our major cities, perhaps. That has a, you know, uh, with, for example, the BAME community, for reasons that people are still not quite sure of, they appear to be more susceptible to this. So you kind of put it in that context, and then we do have a government who, rightly or wrongly, as I say, I'll, I'll try not to get too political with, uh, with this. We have a government who, you know, are fairly libertarian and, they, and they, they've tried to avoid some of the more extreme lockdowns that other countries have, have employed. And, um, and now again, for example, where uh, supposedly it's all started in Wuhan. They look to be, again, from the images I've seen in the last few days, getting back to near normality. But then they had some severe lockdowns where they just could not go out. Or if they did, they had to have a certificate. Well, again, in France, they had to show documentation uh, as to why they were out on the streets. And of course, that's never happened here. So it, it's, and, and you know, we're relatively a small Ireland. Uh, we never closed our borders. We're looking at doing that now. Again, nobody really knows was that was that the right or the or the, the wrong thing because it, it is, as I say, just a such a complex issue. But I think the, the the thing that I would add to that is that one thing is for sure that it's changed our behaviour and our attitudes in profound ways, which I don't think will ever really be reversed in in many cases and, and what i mean by that is we're all wearing masks face coverings just like the majority of, of, of countries i don't see at the moment a scenario which would allow us to to not wear them you know in london we have the uh, the underground system and at rush hour like a lot of other major cities around the world it's crammed it's absolutely packed i just can't see people ever returning to that way of life and and if that's true, and and perhaps this <laughs> this does go back to the um, the futurist part, you know, if that is true, then that has some really profound implications for not just society but consumerism, retail, 
businesses, transport, travel, all these sorts of things, all aspects of society will be impacted in, uh, by it. Given your retail focus, I wonder what you've seen with regard to the pandemic impacting retail in the UK and across the world. Well, retail has, uh, yeah, there were, for years we'd been talking about certain trends. And at the start of um, 2020, I, in my capacity as a retail analyst, retail commentator, was being asked, as I am at the start of every year, you know, what were my predictions for not just the year, but for the, uh, for the decade? And, you know, I like pretty That's much... That's a much better question than I keep <laughs> <Yeah>. coming up with. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I was being asked, um, just like many of my fellow uh, retail analysts and, uh, and commentators, that, you know, what what did I think was going to happen? And, and it was really within the context of actually the decade. And, and we all kind of um, came to some similar conclusions that, uh, yeah, the proliferation, for example, uh, the obvious one, the proliferation of uh, the... Uh, percentage if you like of the total sales of online here in the uk uh at the start of 2020 it was around about 18.5 percent of total sales now uh latest figures up to december it's around hovering around about 35 percent now it had taken years and years and years to get to that level of 18 and suddenly within the space of a few months i mean growth in december was over 40%. So, you know, what, what that's doing to, to retail uh, is meaning that, that that new online spend, and this is the, the real challenge and, and the trick for retailers to try to work out, what amount, what percentage of that new retail spend is going to remain there? Because there are a lot of people who said, no, 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 I, I, don't, I want to go into store, I want to feel and touch, et cetera, et cetera. They've, uh, during the first lockdown that we had back in March uh, last year, they suddenly discovered the ease and convenience of online and might not ever go back. Or at least they, they, they will, you know, what I believe will happen is that we will, more and more of us will shop more for our repeat purchases or our commodity purchases online. And it'll be the more personal things that we will want to go back to the store at some point in the future. And when that will be, at the moment, to be honest, is probably anyone's guess. I mean, what we do know is that it certainly isn't going to be any time between now and when the summer approaches, because we're still going to be in lockdown, we're told, until potentially after Easter. And Easter falls uh, for us this year, uh, I think it's the, the weekend of the 4th, 3rd and 4th of, of April. So that says that we're not going to be coming out of this really. and We could go into another tiered system where restrictions are just gradually eased. You know, that, that's going to take us to the summer. So realistically, it's not going to be until the autumn of this year, at least, that we will start to return to and shop in stores as we, we did before this. So, you know, there's some huge, huge challenges. And one of the things that uh, we've, we've seen, one of the, the, the results of this, or the, the, the two businesses in question were struggling before this pandemic, but it really finished them off, were two very well-known and also in, in, in uh, the US in the case of one of them. So Arcadia, the owner of Topshop, and um, Topshop had a, a number of stores in the US. 
uh, in pretty much all the major cities on the east and west coast uh, up until quite recently when they, they closed them. That's been bought by pure play online player called ASOS, who have done extremely well out of uh, this pandemic. So that's a case of an online pure play player buying up a quite a, a, a very well established physical retailer, if you like. And the other one, not so well known in, in the US, Debenhams, who are over 240 years old. They've been purchased for 55 million, the, the brand name and the customer data, not the stores. The de- and Debenhams, by the way, are a department store chain. Uh, they've been purchased by, again, another online pure play fashion retailer, Boohoo. So that is really, really a mark of the changing of the guard. And I think we're going to see more of that in the coming months and uh, next uh, year or so. That's really interesting that an acquisition took place like that and they're shuttering the brick and mortar stores that came potentially with that acquisition and they're just choosing Mm -hmm. to step out of that business. That's that's a major change. It is major change. I know that in, in the U.S. there have been a number of uh, you know, a number of the, the department stores have really struggled and have store closures. And so, uh, you know, that, that impacts uh, shopping centers, shopping malls, Main Street, High Street, as we call it um, here. And we're, we're really going to see that. Uh, Debenhams, they were big department stores and they had just under 120 of them. So there are going to be some really big gaps in our town centers. And and I think the, the significance of that goes way, way beyond the Debenhams business and the uh, the, the people who sadly, you know, it's 10,000 people who lost their jobs because of this, which is very sad. But it goes way beyond that in many ways, because this is, this is going right to the heart of our communities, to our town centres. And, and probably more so in the UK, retail has, has played a, a huge part of, uh, of that. You know, if we look across other parts of Europe, particularly southern Europe, then because of the climate, there's more and more uh, that is perhaps on, a, on a, a social, on a hospitality level. And, and you, can, you can spend more time out of doors because the more, of the more favorable climate. Here, it, it's, uh, it's slightly different. And, and our town centers have been built around retail. So to lose both of these in very quick succession is significant. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. And I think that you know, if we look back, there have been so many retail brands that uh, have disappeared over the years. And always it's, it's quite sad. But new ones come along. It might take some time, but, but new ones do come along. And, and I think this is all part of the evolution of uh, the, uh, of the retail industry. You know, I'm sure listeners have the same experience, but I just, you know, to acknowledge what you're saying, recognize my own purchase habits and behaviors. And I think most transactions that come out of my home are online transactions, unless it's putting fuel in the vehicle or something like that, right? But even ordering from a restaurant, I'm going to do that ahead of time online before I go down. So, any given seller needs to be doing business online because that's where your customers are right now. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, David. And um, I think e- even if, yeah, and, and this is one of the interesting new trends uh, rather than one which has been accelerated, I think, because before this, we weren't really talking about that leveling up of physical in a digital way in the way that you've just quite rightly described. You know, I think we're going to see far less contact and we are seeing 
uh, more and more apps which do this. So you're absolutely right. You can order your meal or you can order your drink from your table or you can purchase in store, but using an app. So there isn't any contact. I think we're going to see more concierge style retailing. Uh, so I think luxury is going to be for the masses um, as we move forward. So there's a number of and they're all quite exciting, actually. So it's it's not all doom and gloom. No, it's definitely a pivot point, though. And uh, that's that's very interesting, your observations on it. I would like to turn our conversation to focus a little bit on what SafePrim does, your your company. And uh, the self-description that SafePrim has out on your website is we are the go-to service for all public placeholders to make their destination COVID secure. And as I delved into uh, your site and your company a little bit more, what I came to understand is you're actually in the business of helping people secure their physical spaces, right? And giving pointers to organizations that have technologies in this area. So I'm very curious about what technologies you're seeing in solutions that are provided by some of your partners with regards to securing physical space. Mm. Yeah, so very briefly, we, we saw last year, we saw a gap in the market. We, did, we saw that um, a lot of feedback that we received was that people were looking to make their premises. And, and um, we have focused uh, so far on retail because that and my co-founder, that's, that's our background. But it applies to any indoor physical space. What we were, uh, we were hearing was that people didn't know where to go. They knew where to go to get PPE uh, and Perspex screens and this sort of thing. But for the, some of the more sophisticated uh, solutions, they, they just didn't know where to go. So that's why we, we uh, created SafePrem, really to act as that connector between, as I say, placeholders, any premises owners, and some of these amazing solutions which we've curated if you like from from around the from around the world um so just some examples of that which goes back to the kind of concierge type of service one in the uk which works with the uh uh with the likes of um, tesco and uh asda a company called qdini they're a partner of ours you know they use uh, artificial intelligence and they provide uh, queuing and booking appointments apps and they're also moving into the um, which you know, there are a lot of people out there who are moving into the whole area of looking at people flow and occupancy within a particular space, because we know, of course, that social distancing now is uh, is very important. Another uh, company who are based in California, who uh, again are a partner of ours, is one called the Indoor Lab, and um, they use something called LiDAR technology. So it's not simply cameras, it's... Um, uses laser as well as a camera and machine learning to to look at typically a larger public space so uh, they've uh, in december they went live at uh, orlando airport and what they primarily what they do is that they can very accurately down to three centimeters can track people movement and they look a bit like a, a radar when when you view this you know it's tiny small Blobs, so it's all an anonymized. And the technology primarily was originally to, to uh, for airports to use to track that flow, so that they could work out the best ways to lay the airport out to encourage people to go near the the retail outlets and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, now it's being used for a completely different uh, source. And one of the interesting things actually that they uh, they can do 
which uh, they are talking to one or two very large retailers in uh, uh, in the US, is because of the accuracy of it, they can use this to track to see the um, extent of the level of store colleague and customer engagement, which is quite fascinating when, when you think about it. So they can see, they can, because they can, through RFID or similar, they can tag the store colleague so they know who the uh, uh the member of staff is and they know who the customer is and it can be used to see that the as i say the level of um engagement physical engagement with the customer so there's um a lot of applications for it um hotel chains uh, are interested in it because one of the things for those hotels um that uh, are allowed to remain open is that they saw their cleaning bills went through the roof because they were having to clean everywhere all the time Using this, they can target that so they know exactly where people have been and where people have congregated. And looking across the the directory that we have, which at the moment is around about 120, it, it will grow. But for for the um, applications-based solutions, as you might imagine, I don't think the last time I looked, there are any which aren't SaaS, which aren't in in uh, in the cloud. So you know, a SaaS subscription model is the default now. And and I mentioned that because um, I used to work in uh, the software industry and five, six, seven years ago, that might have been the, the exception rather than the rather than the rule. But of course, it's a, a far easier way to to consume some of these uh, some of these things. So there's a lot of really really interesting uh, technology solutions out there. One of the things that is compelling to me about the story you just told is with the LiDAR solution, maybe that's offered as a SaaS application, but there's more to it than that, right? There is physical hardware that goes along with a system like that. Is that also something that gets uh, licensed for use? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, there are various models, but yes, typically that's the way that it um, that it works. And one of the quite interesting things that... that um, uh, the founders of the indoor lab uh, told me was that for those listeners who have been through Orlando Airport, you would know uh, what it's like. It's a very good airport. It's uh, generally held to be one of the one of the best. And and what they found was that they, from a cosmetic point of view, uh, the airport owners were very very demanding. So this had to be uh, quite unobtrusive hardware uh, that uh, was installed there, but. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, that that was all that is, is included in uh, in part of the uh, part of the deal. So I'm also thinking about other technologies that go along with that real time data analytics, right? I mean, you've got a data stream then, many of them that you're marrying together and putting into a cohesive report. And that report, it sounds like, actually is a a visual that shows flow through a given physical presence or physical space. So in this case, the Orlando airport, right? Is that an accurate way to talk about the visualization of this data is by actually seeing it flow through a physical space, a map? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And and it's quite fascinating to, to watch it. I, I've, I've seen this um, you know, live real time and, and you can see so uh, the, the the example that I was given was of uh, one of the terminals, and um, from memory, uh, it was about half a dozen gates, and you could see on this when a plane arrived and people disembarked, 
because you could see them all coming through the through the terminal, and then you could see when people were were leaving it. So it, it was quite a fascinating. And you know, there are a lot of uh, another partner of ours, a company who are probably well known to uh, to many of your listeners, um, Retail Next, who of course are based mm-hmm. in the, in the US, and and they for years were known for store analytics. Well, they're, they're doing similar things. Of course, that's another area where it's, it's very interesting. Where perhaps the you know the budget for the investment is signed off for a different reason, but the technology can still do the same thing. So I think that. After years, store analytics, you know, understanding your customer flow in store and your customer behavior in your physical space, I think because of the pandemic, that will see a huge increase, uh, uptake in, uh, in interest, but probably not driven necessarily by the original purpose for the solutions. But I think that, um, that's what retailers will, will, very quickly realize that for their physical spaces, they're going to have to, as I mentioned earlier, they're going to have to level up digitally with their online competition, if you like. And they're going to have to become much, much uh, smarter uh, to, to be able to, uh, to compete. It's a fascinating story uh, that you're telling and, and picture that I can see in my head based on what you're saying. And I'm curious, as I look at a map like that, am I looking for clustering points? I mean, if we talk specifically about COVID, are we looking to change traffic flow and maybe put kiosks and things in certain strategic places to change that flow? Is that the idea? Yeah, no, that that's very definitely uh, part of the uh, uh, the idea. Yeah, the, I gave the example of the cleaning, but yeah, absolutely. It's to spot where there's clustering you know, in a store environment. It's to spot you know, dwell time, uh, how people navigate um, the store. And I always felt you know, for, for a good number of years that um, this is something that um, you know, retailers where, where they have physical space really ought to be able to understand quite intimately. Because when you think about it, if you, if you know how shoppers shop your store, you've got huge intel into you know, where to place now, how to use your discretionary space uh, to talk to your suppliers about promotions, you know, uh, adjacency, all sorts of, of, of things that um, and, and it affects pretty much uh, every part of a retail, uh, a retail business. You know, you, you can imagine that um, marketeers are going to want be wanting to uh, to understand that information. Commercial department are going to want to visual merchandising are going to want to uh, retail operations. You know, it, it cuts right across a retail business. And um, the, the exciting thing, I guess, is that if all this begins to filter through uh, as, a, as an outcome of uh, the pandemic, it can only be good news for all of us as consumers. You know, you said, David, that most of the, the goods that come into uh, your house come through the online channel. But equally, there are still, as we know, many, many people who love to go to a physical store. And I think for them, the news is good because those physical stores are going to have to get better and better and better. Uh, so it's going to be, you know, more exciting. You know, we're, we're going to get more inspiration, I think, from from going to stores because the general standard can only go in one direction. Makes sense. And, you know, you use the term dwell time. Uh, I wasn't going to 
bring this up, but since you use that term, I'll throw this out there. <laughs> it sounds like with regard to combating COVID in a physical space, it is almost like trying to lean out a, a system by applying lean practices to it, getting rid of dwell time, getting rid of or shortening it and getting rid of cues, getting rid of slack in the system, that sort of thing. And that's how and then applying that to a physical space. Mm, yeah, that, no, that's a good point. I mean, cues is is an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, we Brits are, uh, you know, if there was um, an Olympic sport for queuing, we we would have got gold medal uh, at uh, every every Olympics. Uh, we're, we're good at it. Um, but of course, queuing <laughs> is going to be seen as not a good thing. Because generally, when you're queuing, you're in fairly close proximity to your fellow man, um, who now we know can spread all sorts of nasty diseases that we don't want to catch. So, queuing and, and avoiding having queues uh, will uh, will become, you know, almost a, a sector in its own uh, in its own right. But again, that that's yeah, that's also a good thing because none of us really enjoy queuing. So, yeah, we, we can see that not just retail, but Pretty much all consumer-facing industries. You know, if we go back to the airport, you know, think of your typical uh, experience when you fly. It involves a lot of queuing at either end, which again isn't that pleasant for uh, none of us. Really relish that. So um, I can only hope that uh, you know, you know, some of these uh, experiences are going to have to be because of whatever way of living and working we're going to adopt when we all start to uh, different periods, different times come out of this uh, grip of the pandemic, I can only hope that um, it'll be for the better ultimately. And now let's take a moment out to listen to this very important message. Did you know the Microsoft Commercial Marketplace allows you to find and purchase leading Microsoft certified solutions from Microsoft partners? The Microsoft Commercial Marketplace includes Microsoft App Source and Azure Marketplace. Each storefront serves unique customer requirements and different target audiences, so publishers can ensure solutions are available to the right customers. For applications that integrate with Microsoft 365 products, visit appsource.microsoft.com. Get solutions tailored to your industry that work with the products you already use. For B2B Azure-based solutions, visit azuremarketplace.microsoft.com. Here you can discover, try, and deploy the cloud software solutions you want. So I want to acknowledge, too, just a few technologies that support some of the scenarios that you're talking about. And to do that from from Azure standpoint, you know, we can talk about these things on any cloud, but uh, Azure for Microsoft, of course. And in particular, some of the things you've mentioned, artificial intelligence and machine learning solutions. You know, Azure has... Uh, machine learning capabilities, AI cognitive services capabilities right out of the box you can talk to. And those have been very helpful in building initial forays into AI and machine learning and people get, getting started. Data analytics solutions, especially Azure Synapse, which is a product that allows glean deep insights from data that you might already have. Right? That is something that a lot of retailers in particular, find valuable is to look at my point of sale data, look at you know other data that I have in uh, databases already, pull that all together into a data lake or data state, as you will, and then report out of that, right? And, and be able to see things that we weren't necessarily able to see before by bringing together disparate uh, data. And last 
thing I'll mention here is digital twins and Power BI. Digital twins in particular being a technology that allows us to model physical space. Andrew, you and I were talking a little bit about this before the show. And it allows us to model a physical space and then to run experiments on that model like any given autonomous system. It might be a physical space I'm modeling uh, in terms of manufacturing or in terms of retail, but it could be any autonomous system, really. And then finally, Power BI to visualize all of this in the ways that you were talking about. Uh, so that's just a quick trip through some of the Azure services that are applicable to some of the conversations that it sounds like you're having. I want to go back, if we could, just a little bit and talk about the role of mobile right now. And what I can tell you, you know, from my experience as well is, you know, when we do shop online and when we do order from a restaurant, say, I'm going to place my order on a mobile device almost always, even though I'm at home and I have access to a laptop. It's probably sitting right next to me. I'm still using my phone. Don't quite know why, but that's (laughs) what we tend to do. Are you seeing the role of mobile change the face of retail? Yeah, absolutely. It's, of course, with um, 5G pretty much upon us now, that is is set to move up several gears. Uh, there'll be a huge step change in that because, of course, we'll, we'll have fantastic connectivity pretty much wherever we are. It's one of the – it's interesting, you know, yeah, if, we, if we're doing our whatever it happens to be, we're working on a PowerPoint or a, a spreadsheet or a this or other, whatever, we're going to be on our laptop, you know, our desktop device, whatever that, that may be. Pretty much any other time, we're probably going to be on our smartphone. And I think we, we sometimes forget the power that we have that we're carrying around in our pocket. You know, whether it be through social media, through uh, but but more through apps and consuming things, whether it be consuming content or whether it be purchasing or whether it be uh, ordering food, uh, whether it be purchasing tickets. You know, we can do pretty much uh, all we, we want through that. And, you know, we've been saying for a few years that um, it's mobile first. So if you're designing, you know, an app is a mobile app by the very definition of it whatever you are designing online so you know you want a website well it has to be designed first and foremost for mobile because of the uh, uh, the huge prevalence of uh, uh, of that so you know i, I hear um, stories of, of, of people and they're, they're putting content up video content up good content up online mm-hmm. and um, you ask them well, what did you use uh, for your camera to, to create this and so on and so forth? They say, well, just use my smartphone. And and it's so easy. I mean, you know, we've got AI built into most of the, you know, whichever brand you care to mention. Uh, we've got some amazing cameras that are built into them now. Ones which, you know, I'm old enough to remember, you know, growing up with um, obviously non-digital SLR cameras and you had a roll of film and so on and so forth yeah and you and and it's kind of you 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 know when you're old enough to to look back you can occasionally stop yourself and and realize you know obviously somebody who's 17 or 18 doesn't think in that way because they've never known what it was like before but for us who 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 can it's sometimes you know you have to kind of pinch yourself that um you know we've got all of this um uh this technology which is just you know in our back pocket Indeed. And let's let's shift gears just a little bit 
because we've been already talking about this, but I want to acknowledge that we're kind of moving away from the safe prem conversation about securing physical spaces and going more toward your specialty, which is is retail. And so just to dive in on that a little deeper, you've mentioned AI a couple of times, and I'm, I'm wondering about the applicability of AI for retailers in general. Uh, what are you seeing with regard to AI and its applicability? I think as a, as a general comment on that, and as I think as something which all retailers really ought to be paying attention to, and this is certainly where AI and, and, and machine learning come in. And that's, um, you know, we all, we all know that retail is driven by uh, a set of long-standing KPIs. So, for example, sales per square foot. Uh, you know, is, is an often quoted one. Well, sales per square foot today is, I would argue, pretty much meaningless, apart from the obvious that you, your business is probably going to be both physical and online. You know, the, the, the customer journey now is so complex, uh, and and your your the way that you sell through your store is is completely different. So, my point being that I think one of the the most critical KPIs for any retailer now to understand is how is my customer feeling? What's their sentiment? What's their propensity to convert? And so this is where you know data analytics, data science, and so on and so forth, and and, and really, really understanding your customer through the data. I mean, I always uh, say to people, well, I use social media a fair amount, um, you know, on a daily basis. Uh, some means more more than others but you know i always say to people well look if you were to trawl back over the last 24 months let's say of my social media activity you would probably uh and you could then in analyze and then interpret it and that's the key here you would probably know everything there is to know about me you know my thoughts my feelings the way my, my persona the way i interact what I obviously my purchasing patterns, and and this is what I think people have been wanting from actually not just retail, all consumer facing um, industries. We all talk about personalization. Frankly, I don't think we've ever you know from I can't I couldn't name you one. Uh, you know, if you if you were to say to me, David, well, who's doing it really well? I would say nobody, because hmm. what we're seeing at the moment is is still. And I find this hard to believe. It, it's still pretty blunt and it's pretty basic. And I don't mind this kind of unwritten contract whereby I'll give you more of my own data. I'll allow you access to more of my own data in return for a better, more personalized experience. I don't mind that. You know, obviously putting for one second security issues real or perceived to one side. But I really don't mind that at all if that if that adds value to my life. But what I see at the moment is what I call uh, retrospective and it's it's ambulance chasing more than anything else. We all do a search or we purchase something online and then what do you get for days, maybe, you know, whatever afterwards. Yeah, they, they want, and I was I always um, give the example of somebody. She um, this is a couple of years ago and um, uh, you may have heard about this. She. She posted something on on Twitter, and it happened to be that she purchased a very basic item. She needed a new toilet seat, and so she purchased it from 
uh, a very well-known, very large online retailer. So that was delivered all fine. Yeah, she was happy. She she got that. But then she was inundated with emails about, you know, did she want to purchase another one? And so the tweet that she put went along the lines of, no, I'm not. Uh, I don't have a toilet seat fetish. I don't collect them. I really don't need another one. One was enough. Thank you very much. And for me, in a humorous way, that that kind of you know, encapsulated all that is still immature about personalization. So, you know, if you were to ask me, have you got one wish as to how retail will improve, not as a result of the, the pandemic, but just, you know, over the next 12 months, it would be in that area. I would imagine so. As I've looked at those solutions myself, the personalization of, of retail is interesting because I will talk about things on Twitter, Facebook, what have you, uh, Instagram, et cetera. And, you know, those things are clearly being watched for personalization of my experience because I get ads for things that are particular to those conversations yeah, that I have yeah. out there in public. But the fail, I think, and I've even talked about this on Twitter, I threw it out there, is when I've already purchased something and you're offering me another one rather than something that goes along with that purchase to make it an even better buy for me, right? Yeah. Uh, something complimentary. And you know, I think that's pretty obvious for all of us that that needs to get better. It's just a bad implementation of AI for that not to be more predictive, given that it's clearly got the data. Yeah. And that's what I mean about adding value to our lives. And that's why I say, look, I'm quite happy. This contract that I got with you, you know, Mr. Retailer or consumer facing, yeah, that's great. But, you know, take that data and use it intelligently. Make an effort to interpret it. And I don't see right. very, that Make very an many effort. examples. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. You know, I think it's probably time for us to button up. And in doing so, I'm going to mention just a few things that we'll have posted in the show notes uh, for you, Andrew, and for SafePrem. Uh, social handles, of course. I will include links to your LinkedIn articles, uh, your Twitter accounts. We were mentioning that. And SafePrem has a podcast of its own, right? Behind the Mask. We do. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So that's really neat. We will link to that and the SafePrem blog as well. And then with regard to Microsoft properties in this space, we'll uh, put a link up for Microsoft and retail and a link to a playbook that we're currently offering for retailers, a retail trends playbook for 2021. That should be helpful to some listeners of the show. With that, I want to thank you, Andrew, so much for coming on the show. It's been a really great conversation we've been able to have. Listen, David, it's been a real pleasure, and I thank you and Microsoft for inviting me. Um, yeah, I always enjoy, as you can probably tell, I've got plenty to, to talk about and always enjoy talking about uh, all aspects of retail. So thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Azure for Industry podcast, the show that explores how industry experts are transforming our world with Azure. For show topic recommendations or other feedback, reach out to us at industrypodcast.com at Microsoft.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Azure for Executives podcast. We love hearing from you. And if you have suggestions for topics, questions about issues discussed on the show, or other feedback, contact the show host, David Starr or Paul Marr, through the social media links included in the show notes for each episode. We look forward to hearing from you.